Hello everyone, this is Trey Borden, and welcome to this episode of What We Gonna Do. So, um, I am a single, childless man, and I, if there's one thing that I had to feel good about during the coronavirus, um, and I guess maybe that extends to this kind of racial upheaval, um, I do not have any kids. And because I've seen how difficult it is to A, you're at home raising them, you're at home educating them, you're at home answering all their questions about stuff. And it's that last part that has been, you know, I'm sure very difficult for especially a lot of new allies and people who are not black. Black parents have known forever that they have to at some point explain to their kids that they're black if they didn't know already and what that meant in a society as racist and white supremacist and as dangerous for black people as America is. But for white people and non-black people to a lesser extent, that hasn't necessarily been a conversation that they've you know, been proactively having. And But a lot of people are having to have it now. Your kids are looking outside and seeing the same tanks and helicopters as I am and hearing about George Floyd and all these kind of protests. And what is racism, mommy? Like, what is white supremacy, mommy? Who is George Floyd, mommy? Um, that must be a really difficult conversation. So we thought it would be great to invite a child development expert and professor uh, onto the program to kind of explain like the birds and the bees of racism. So Alina Cervantes is joining us now to talk about just that and to give you parents the tools to um, have a productive conversation with your kids that can kind of lead to uh, a lifetime of kind of supporting and uh, kind of owning these values. So here's Alina. I don't remember the last time I wore like, (laughs) you know, I'm like not even trying. I mean, I'm put together somewhat, um, but yeah, I just can't wait to get dressed up again if that ever needs to happen. Um, but yeah, well, thank you so much for joining me, Alina. This is great. I'm really looking forward to this topic. Um, and I think it's going to give people who are really desperate for the proper tools. Cause I think that when, you know, it's, it's been, I've been, one of the things I've been noticing is that so many people that I have never, so many adults, peers who I've never seen kind of posting anything about and you know, systematic racism or anti-racism or police brutality are starting to kind of use this vocabulary for the first time. And it must be, and it's been a, a, an arc for them. So I can only imagine how difficult it is to kind of transmit these ideas that adults have a really hard time grasping and communicating with each other to a child. Uh, and so I really am looking forward to this conversation. So thank you very much for uh, making yourself known and being an expert and actually doing this work already for many, many years. And I think it's such an opportune time for someone like you to kind of spread your brilliance with us, with the rest <laughs> of us. We need it. Um, thank you so for having the, me. Oh, of course. So please just kind of introduce yourself and kind of how, how you come to this topic. Sure. Oh, how did I come to this topic? Um, so <laughs> I've been, I started out as a preschool teacher. Um, And I was a preschool teacher for many years. And at that time, I hadn't really entered into specific work on anti-bias education. But when I was a preschool teacher, I started really listening to kids and writing down their comments and hearing things that they were discussing. Um, I worked at the time at a mostly white um, school. And so someone who looks like me with my skin color, you know, obviously I stood out. And I remember it was like out of the textbook, you know, one of the kids going like, you know, 
commenting on my brown skin and was it dirty, right? Um, (laughs) And so, um, and also like I have this beauty mark here. You know, kids notice physical features and they would like ask me if it was a bug or if it would, you know, scratch off. Um, So I just really started paying attention and listening more to kids and I got more interested and passionate about um, anti-bias education. And then um, I became a professor of early childhood education and that's when kind of I really started focusing kind of everything I do at work around that. Um, I teach a course called Culture and Diversity at American River College. Um, I don't like the name, by the way, but that's for another um, story. <laughs> um, okay. and as so, long as the knowledge is good, who cares? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's mostly for teachers who are going to be working with young children and kind of giving them the tools that they're going to need, um, really concrete tools, like how do I create an an anti-bias environment? How do I respond when a kid says, why is this person dark and this person's light? Or they have, um, you know, engage in- Or is this person made of chocolate? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Right. And I'll I'll talk about that today because kids are already making, trying to make sense out of their world. Right. And they're limited by their experience. They're limited by the way their brains work um, in terms of making sense out of things. And so if we don't give them the accurate information, they're going to make stuff up. They're going to, you know, hear stuff from their friends. So, um, you know, and so that's kind of been my focus is really kind of giving the concrete tools, the words. And of course, you know, it's for parents, right? I mean, I'm a parent. I have two little girls. We are, um, you know, definitely anti-bias parenting, which I'm hoping is a term that we're going to start normalizing. Um, In the field of early childhood, we hear about attachment parenting and positive discipline. And there's huge organizations um, where you can, you know, do this kind of work for other areas of parenting. Um, and so I am really trying to hope that we're going to start normalizing the conversation that this is, this is not an extra to parenting. This is part of parenting for those who are ready to start and ready to, you know, do the work. So an essential part, I mean, because like what we've seen is if you ignore it and we don't talk about it, this is what we get. You know, we get a society that is blindsided in some ways. I mean, a non-black society that is blindsided by this kind of like simmering tension and the realities that you know, black and brown people face. So I guess speaking about your kids, maybe that's a good place to start. Kind of like, how did you, you know, because I just imagine the images that we're seeing as adults that are so horrifying and you can only shield your children from so much. I mean, if they're not very, very young and I know if, and, or, you know, they see, they look outside and see hella helicopters see yeah. too, you know? Yeah. So how did you kind of explain that? I mean, did you, I mean, obviously you've probably been doing this for quite a while with your own children. So can maybe explain that and then, you know, maybe how that's changed to cope with the current, reality. Sure. And I want to emphasize too, that there is no, like even the the tools I'll share today, it's not going to work for every child because every child's at a different age and a developmental awareness. My kids have been being raised with this kind of anti-bias parenting since birth. Right. And so the way that I might speak with them might be different than a child maybe who's never heard a word like racism, for example. So you have to really think about what does my child know? We'll talk about that. What have they learned? What, and then it's not even just what they've seen, because even if we shield them from, you know, the graphic parts of the news, which I would actually recommend for young children, they see our reactions. They hear it in our voice. They see our body language. 
you know, even very young children, infants and toddlers, you know, know something's different about the way my parents acting or behaving. And so they're going to pick up on all of that stuff anyway. And it's again, one of those things that if we don't talk about why are there hell? I mean, we live right, you know, we're near Midtown, we can hear the flashbangs, we can hear um, mm. the chop, you know, copters overhead, you know, I've been out to the protest. One, my younger daughter was worried about that. We talked about it and I talked about it, you know, about what, what things I would be doing to make sure I was being safe um, because that's a concern. And of um, course. so they're hearing it already, right? So we have to address what it is. Why is this happening? Because otherwise it actually creates more fear um, mm -hmm. and it makes them feel more worried that, oh my gosh, this is so horrible that even my parents aren't going to talk to me about it. Right. And then it just kind of builds from there. So it becomes a big old boogeyman, the racism boogeyman, you know? Yes. Well, the book, you know, there's the, the boogaloo boys, right? I mean, that's like a well, real, true. A real literal boogeyman. Oh my literal God. Literal boogie. Help yes. us. <laughs> yes, yes. So like, I'd rather have La Llorona. Like I can. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I miss Miss Rona. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. Okay. Yeah. So go, so get into kind of like what the, what, how it was as a parent. As, sure. You know, so, you know, there, obviously there's tons of resources on the internet, so we can use the Google, right, for so mm -hmm. much of that. Um, but the main things that I want parent, parents to leave with today is not being silent, right? So you can't be silent. You have to listen and learn from your own child, right? Tell the truth. Don't be lying because they will know when you're lying. And right. then give them a way to express themselves. So those are four things. And I actually interviewed my own eight-year-old um, for this. Nice. And I'm going to take you through each of those four things okay. using the interview, right? That is so, great. Okay. So I actually have her, I typed it out so I don't forget what this she This is says, so cute, right? by yes. the way. I mean, okay. you have very precocious yeah. young daughters, so it's an <laughs> yeah. ideal interview One subject. Of, yes. <laughs> I may have lots to say, too. Yeah. Um, can't imagine. Yeah. And again, you know, this is for my child, knowing who my child is. But even with that, I don't know all the things that they're thinking or what they know about. Um, and, you know, so you have to kind of also before think about how you feel about this. You have mm -hmm. to do your own homework before you start talking about this. This is not an on the fly conversation. The, right. I mean, it, it can definitely be some elements of that. And we'll, we'll talk about, you know, what you do if they ask you something you don't know, because there's... Sure. I mean, in terms of like, I don't know how I feel. I'm going to think this through as I yes. explain it to my child. Exactly. It's like, no, you right. don't want that. Right. So if our number one step is do not be silent. And you've heard that. It's been plastered everywhere. You know, break the silence. Don't be silent. Um, we know kids are already noticing color. They're noticing different human differences. We cannot ignore it. It actually makes them more fearful of those differences when we don't talk about it. Um, so we actually want them to notice those differences and then celebrate those differences, right? So um, the first thing that we wanna do is just talk about it, right? And, and part of that might be also thinking about how did our own parents talk with us? I mean, I didn't really get any of that like explicit. There were you know, implicit messages, right? Sure. Um, things that we might have learned. So even just thinking about how you were kind of raised and, and working through that. So we know we want to talk. Um, we want to um, break the silence, right? Mm -hmm. So the listening and learning part, you just start with asking questions, right? 
Um, and so my eight-year-old, the first thing I asked her was, you know, what do you know about what is happening? Um, and she said, well, I know there's protests, okay? And she's heard that word. Some kids might not have heard that, and there's another vocabulary word you can teach, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I said, what is a protest? It's like the women's march when you fight for something. So what do you think these protests are about? Black Lives Matter. Again, she's got some context. Right? Yeah, she's, she's not yeah. new. <laughs> what does that mean? That black people should be treated the same as white people by everyone. Okay. Why are the protests happening now? So here we're getting to, well, why is really? this you know, happening now? She said, because George Floyd died, shouldn't say he was killed, and people aren't happy about it. Mm. How did he die? Because I knew that she knew that, right? He was killed by a police officer. What do you think about that? I like this part. It's messed up. That was her yeah, answer. There you go. Out of the mouths yeah. of babes. <laughs> what should we do about it? Protest until we get what we want. Okay. So if she didn't know the words protest, I'm not going to go to like Webster and give her the adult definition, right? I can tell a three-year-old a protest is when people are standing up against something or fighting for something they believe in, right? Parents explain all kinds of complicated things to their children. How a butterfly, you know, turns into a butterfly. Why the sky is blue. We don't always know the answers to that. My kids ask me, you know, why are there rivers and how did they form? I don't know. I'm so, not a geologist. Yes. So, <laughs> so we already do that. And we're willing as parents to do that. Like we don't even think about it. So right. what's stopping us from looking up those definitions, trying to explain it in a way that makes sense to them, right? So when we're having that conversation, again, adapt it. Are they three? Are they four? Are they 10? Change the words. Give them the vocabulary of, of racism and, and racialized identity. Give them the vocabulary. I'm not going to use, you know, well, I did use systemic racism with my kids, but I first explained in a way that they could understand, right? What that's gonna look like. So after she said, well, black people aren't treated the same, right? Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, racism, right? Cause she knows what that is. We've talked about it before. Um, I asked her- It helps that also you're, you're Latinx. So, I mean, you, she is part of the yes. group that is agitating. I mean, I think that it, it's it would be, I'm imagining like a, a, you know, a white parent and a, a white child it's like it maybe have to get a little deeper because you're like Absolutely. mommy is this some people don't like mommy because mommy is browner you know like yeah. that's that's at least personal and you are a browner as a yeah. result i perhaps. mean when we've talked about you know immigration policy and those kinds of things they've asked me is someone going to come and get you because mm -hmm. they always personalize everything right and and you know so again oh, your own family it's going to be different there's no guidebook that's going to tell you exactly what to say because every unique situation, you know, is going to be different. And then we start talking about intersectionality and, you know, and their dad is white. Right. So that adds a whole other layer. And my older daughter, she, we learned a new word yesterday, which is white passing. Mm. And what that means, because she is white passing where my youngest daughter is not, and obviously I'm not. And her reaction to that, 
she didn't, she, <laughs> she's like, well, what is that? And, I, and it just means that some people will look at you and they might think that you are only white, right? That you're not um, Mexican, right? Um, and so that was the first time that she had kind of thought about that or- She's like, oh, interesting. Well, I'm not that, white. Right? Yes, yeah. yeah. So we've broken the silence. We asked the questions, listening and learning. And now we've got to tell the truth, right? And make it relatable. And that just means giving them accurate information, which we've kind of already said, right? We, want to, we don't want to give them myths like, you know, you get your skin color from eating chocolate ice cream or, you know, I've heard kids say that, you know, <laughs> they make up their own stories, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so a very simple, and this would be totally appropriate for like three and maybe even a very verbal communicative two-year-old, um, well, you know. We don't like them. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, when we were talking about racism, we said, you know, we said, okay, well, in our country, right, black people are not treated fairly because of the color of their skin. And there have been police officers who have not treated them fairly and have hurt them and killed black people. We're angry about it and we want to stop it, right? It's very simple. Yes, there's whole other levels and layers to all of that. But if they're three or four or seven, you're not going to give them the history of the United States yet. Right. right. What? We're but this is preparation for that, you know? Absolutely, right? Um, and I did introduce the vocabulary words of police brutality. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know what that was, but I said, well, listen to that word brutality, right? You know, and they said, well, yeah, that means something is violent or something is brutal, right? I mean, they, my older one got that. And so we talked about that. Um, and so then I really want them to start understanding the difference between individual racism. This is the thing that adults struggle with. Right. Because mm -hmm. I hear people say, well, I'm not racist. I don't believe in the KKK or I don't, you know, say those things or do those things. I don't and say the N word or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. And that's great. But if you can't also understand institutional systemic racism, you're not going to be able to understand your role in that and the role that we all play, including myself in in those things. Right. So how do I get my child, my little eight year olds? Right. To, to think about the difference between those. So this is the part that says, how can we relate it? Make mm -hmm. it relatable to things they know. What do they know about? And again, different for every child, but most kids attend school or childcare, preschool, right? So I went with the example of um, uh, the school, right? And I explained that, um, it would be like if there was a kid at your school or a teacher, someone at school that said a really mean racist thing, like you can't play here because you're black, right? They, that would be a racist act by an individual, right? But what if that person didn't get any punishment for that? It wasn't addressed. And in fact, they were protected and, and what if your school had all of these policies, new vocabulary word, what is a policy? It's a rule, right? Mm -hmm. That that was okay. And that we weren't going to really care about that. And we started having policies that made it okay to uphold racism, right? So 
What is I mean, the- I feel like a lot of this could be applied to adults too. <laughs> to five year olds. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, I say that all the time. I'm a teacher and I'm sorry, but if I see a teacher abusing children, and I've I've told my kids this too, and if I don't say anything about that, is mommy a good teacher or a bad teacher? Mm. Mommy, you wouldn't be a good teacher if you didn't say something. I'm like, you're right. And that is my job to not harm children, to protect and serve children as a public servant at a public school. Right. Right. So, you know, they, so that's how I got them to kind of understand the difference between individual, a person is doing this thing and that's a problem and we need it to stop, but it kind of is harder for adults and kids, right. Mm -hmm. To understand that there are systems in place that are upholding this, that are protecting this. So, then, and I had not ventured as much into this with my kids. My kids, they've participated in marches. You know, mm-hmm. they've, they've actually come to campus and run um, a little workshop on skin color with skin color paints when they were like two and four. And people would These are the, this is the ideal scenario. Yes. You know? the, the, we did it in the student union and, and they were equipped to do that. But we hadn't talked specifically about um, changing systems, right? So this is the next part of the interview. Um, I asked, well, who makes the rules? And she said, the president and the governor. Is there anyone else? Total silence. So then I said, okay, well, the school boards make some rules and the city council, right? So we talked about some other things she's heard about, again, relatable, right? So if all of these other places make the rules and we don't make the rules, and I pointed to daddy and I, like daddy and I are not making, we don't make the rules at your school. We don't make the rules of the state, right? How can we change those racist rules, right? Um, Or policies. And I'm just going to start using the word policies because they can learn that new word. Um, So her answer to that was protest, which we already talked about. So I dug a little more and I said, but how did those people get to be the ones that make the rules? And she said, they get voted on. Now, you know, we're getting somewhere, right? Um, Okay, so how else can we change the rules? You vote. And I said, yes, and we can speak at school board meetings, we can talk at city council, um, and they know that her parents do those things, right? But what about people that can't do that, right? Because there's so many different ways to be active, right? It's not just the protests. It's not just, you know. So she said, you can write a letter, right? You can call them, right? Um, And I said, yeah, those are great, you know, great ideas. So that's the fourth part is give them a way to express themselves. You know, I have friends that are having their kids, um, you know, make drawings, write in journals, make a poster to put outside, um, participate in protests if that's something that your, you know, f- your family wants to do. But having them feel a sense of agency, we talk about that already. We, make, we have them set the table. We give them chores, right? We, um, when they're grieving, we talk, we already know the language of, oh, we have to let them express themselves. Oh, we have to have them use art and all of these things. This isn't any different. We have to give them ways to express themselves, but also kids can be activists, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, 
children have changed the world already and young people have changed the world throughout history. You know, my, my youngest daughter, they had to do a cereal box project at school and um, she chose Claudette Colvin. And, uh, you know, I was happy that she chose that. She actually saw a play on it first. That was the kind of way she learned about it. And it was good that she could see that, you know, it's not just the grownups, right? And right. we have to hold the grownups accountable, you know? And Yeah, she's like, why aren't you going to the protest, mommy? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, exactly. or whatever that looks like, you know? Yeah, or whatever it is, if it's, if it's, you know, talking with our friends when we hear, how can I tell my child, okay, when you go to school, if you see a bully, and if you, because I tell them this, if you don't be an upstander, you're in trouble with me. And if you don't feel safe being an upstander, then you need to go somewhere where you can get safe and tell an adult that you trust. But you cannot stand by and, and let that happen. So how can I tell my child that if I'm going to go to a party or I'm going to go be in a group of friends and I hear them say something racist or, you know, and I'm not going to respond and I'm not going to, you know, say anything like I'm being a hypocrite like how am I going to put that on my kids to oh be an upstander and then I'm going to be like oh I don't want to lose my friends or like well, I think I think this is a really important point for parents because I mean I'm not, I'm not a parent but I think that this is also a way for adults to have the conversation with themselves you know it's like preparing for this makes people need to kind of, like you said, kind of gather their own thoughts around it. But I think that like this needs to become the values that you're placing in your home. This is not about like checking a box. Okay. I am a white parent. I told them about racism. Oof. Okay. Oof, yeah. This is just, <laughs> this it. is just laying the setting the table for a life and a, and a value system in your home that you're, that is going to be part of the fabric of raising your child. Yeah. And maybe and that, and this is a really high barrier entry point for some people. But I think once you make it because of what's been happening, then it's just, you know, you got to continue it on. Yep. And I think that is the key. Like what you're saying is that it just has to become part of your family life. It's not a one-time thing. It's not, we read a book. It's not a, I went out and bought some children's books about right. You know, racism, you know, yes, those things are important. And, um, I think you should I actually brought like I have I brought a bunch of my little my stuff, you know, have dolls that are of, you know, various skin tone in your house, um, having like obviously books. There's all kinds of things like skin tone paper that mm. you can. I mean, this is a toddler activity where they're lacing things because they're practicing their fine motor skills and they just happen to use skin tone paper, you know. Um, a lot of this stuff, unfortunately, you know, they don't sell, you know, you can go to the paint store and you can get all kinds of skin tone colors. And we've done, um, you know, looking at, um, light to dark, right. Talking about, Oh, well, does this one match me? You know, is this one too dark for me? Is it lighter? Um, and it's really just getting a comfort level through play and through, everyday kinds of activities. Um, I, I mean, that's this. an interesting topic as well, like colorism. Like, you know, you talked about white presenting or, or kind of white passing. It's like, do you know that some people uh, treat darker skin people mean than they treat lighter skin people? Yeah. You know, like yep. that's- and Even within our own black right. and brown families, that's a huge issue. I mean, I was told all the time when I was little, stay out of the sun because my skin would get 
darker. And, you know, my parents worked in the fields, my grandparents worked in the fields. And I understand that they don't want, they didn't want their child to have that same stigma. It wasn't about skin cancer. No, (laughs) no, it was all about internalized depression and internalized shame. And, you know, I don't want my kids to, to have that, you know, I, and no matter what their skin color is, you know, my daughter, my, I don't even know how this is genetically possible, but my oldest daughter came out with blonde eyebrows and blonde hair. Like, I don't even know how that's possible. The Irish genes got strong. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Um, But every child should have a, you know, confident self-identity and that sometimes our family works against that, right? Around our hair and around our skin. And um, we as parents have to talk about that too, right? And what role we have played in that. And obviously that opens up into gender identity and ability and, you know, um, right. all of these other areas. All conversations that need to be had too, you know? Yeah. I think yes. this is one We can very... do another one of these on classism. Sure. We can like, <laughs> there's well, like, it's really interesting because I mean, like, there's been so many articles that I read way before this and now that are, you know, the the conversation that Black parents, you know, like, when do I tell them they're Black, and yeah. you know, when do I tell them that might be dangerous, and what, how do I tell them how to talk to police, and how to talk, to, you know, when they get pulled over. I used to be like, when you're 16, your parents say, now that you're out the house, I got to tell you this shit because you're out of my sight. Now it's like. You have to tell kids. And a lot of the times the kids come back like, I was already called a nigger, actually. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm, I'm seven and that already happened, mom. So thank you. Yeah. Um, so I think that this is now. trying to make sense of it. Well, yeah. we've had this conversation. We already do this with like sex education. Absolutely. Right? Is, and parents are nervous about that. What do I say? I'm the birds and the bees. vagina. Like, yeah. you know, there's already all of this, you know, fear and shame and all this stuff. And I don't know the right words. But parents, a lot of parents do it because they know that they want their child to have that information. So think about this like sex education. Think yeah. about it like it's just a normal The birds thing. and the bees of racism. Yeah, That's all it is. You know, it's just as necessary. Racism. And the thing is, it needs to start sooner. You don't need to tell your four-year-old about vaginas. I mean, unless they have one. I mean, I think, or sex. You don't need to tell them about that. Right, Probably it's developmentally then, but, appropriate. What you're but racism about. is happening now as a two-year-old, yeah. three-year-old, four-year-old. So this yeah. actually is something, that, and maybe this will help you talk about sex more easily yeah. when that and, time comes. And that there, you know, that there is risk involved also with not talking. I mean, if we start looking at, because racism is a public health problem, right? Mm-hmm. It's a public health problem. And so we want to, you know, we talk to them about, you know, things like, drug use, right? I mean, I've talked to my kids about that. We talked to them about, you know, the things that they might encounter later. Cause I don't want to wait until they're 14, like I was, and, you know, <laughs> either experimenting or like trying to figure things out on your own because you weren't really had, you didn't have a lot of solid information. Um, and then putting myself in tremendous risky Tremendously risky sure. situations. I mean, um, think about gay kids. Do you think gay yeah. kids get the gay sex talk by their straight parents? Yes. No, exactly. I don't even know how that's happening. I yeah, mean, I certainly yeah. did not. Yeah. And um, so I think that if we think about that from that perspective too, that it's just got to be normalized. It's got to be every day. It's got to be, you know, and it doesn't have to be every day in the sense that, okay, kids, tonight we're going to talk about, you know, this, right? Yes, we have to do that if we haven't done it before. But then it's simple things like, 
you know, well, what do we notice about the people here? Because they might not say it. What do you notice about, you know, the people that are around you? What do you notice about your friends? Why do you, th why do you think there are only this, you know, skin color at your school? Or you don't, you know, so those are the kinds of conversations that might just be questions, might just be, you know, or things that you notice around you, um, whether that's something in the paper, um, and some of it isn't even directed at them. It can be just you having conversations with other adults, but kind of on purpose. So you, they hear modeling in that, right? Um, that they hear that, oh, you're, you're talking about this comfortably with mm -hmm. other adults. This is not right. a scary thing. This isn't something that's, you know. If I have questions, part, I need to hide them. You know, let's say right. if I have questions, I need to ask them. Right. Yes. And so that's part of what I was going to say of not breaking the silent silence is also not shaming them. So, you know, some of us grew up, we had adults tell us, shh, don't ask that. It's rude. You know, oh, why, mind, why is your hair like that? Yeah. It's like, shut up. Yes. You know, it's yeah. Like, like, actually, you know, that's, that's rude. It. Right. So we don't want to shame them. We want to get kids to feel that this is totally we welcome your questions. Oh my gosh, that's such an amazing question you asked. Thank you, you know, for asking that. And teachers in classrooms, when they don't know how to respond, and this is for parents too, then you just say, oh my gosh, that's an awesome question. I don't know the answer, but let me look it up and I'll get back to you or let's find out together. And then actually do it because and then actually do that. That's really but, yeah, important. Yeah, because sometimes yeah, that that's just a way of avoiding yeah. it, and they'll yeah. also notice that. I yeah. think that's a really that's a really good point that I wouldn't have thought about. Is that like whether you do this or not? It's not like your kid's not going to do it or think about it. They never forget. They'll. I mean, they they will either invent their own answer or they will needle some other adult. Yeah. You know, and you want to be the person that your kids can come to. I assume yeah. as a parent. and they might also not do that and then think, wow, something was wrong with my question and this is a dangerous topic or something is scary about this topic. And this is why you end up with adults who are fearful or, you know, they don't want to say the right. I mean, I'll give an example for myself. It was around ability. I did not know how someone who's in a wheelchair drives a car, like for most of my life. <laughs> and I always wondered about it as a kid. I always thought about it, but I never asked anyone because I was kind of socialized that you don't really talk about that. It's not something you talk about out loud. And, and maybe you obviously didn't know like any disabled people who would have been driving a car, you know, just yeah. like you may not know a black person. Yeah. For a lot yeah, of these exactly. people. And so, um, you know, one thing the internet is good for, right, is, you know, that Google, I can Google, I can Google, like, how does a person in a wheelchair, you know, drive a drive. car, right? And then I can watch it with my kids, and then I can learn something, and they can learn something, and, you know, obviously, we want to look at our sources, we want to try to get our sources from people who are in that experience, and listening to their voices, and their experience, um, but that can be helpful, too, is, you know, think about what do you, what do you want to know? What, what's, what are you worried about? You know, what kinds of things are you uncomfortable because you don't know enough about? And, and, you know, there, there, there's lots of things, I think. That sure. And this is a chance for families to learn together. I think that's a good point too. I don't expect a white parent or a non-black parent to be able to all of a sudden become, you know, 
Angela Davis. You know, that's not, that's a, that's a, that's an expectation that's, that's not realistic and it's not necessary. I think that if you're like, you know, this is something we're going to do together because, you know, we are raised in a society that we don't have a lot of access to this information. And, and nonetheless, we're bombarded by the outcomes of that. So this is a good entry point time, like to use this struggle and this turmoil as a way to say, Hey, we are actually going to do this as a family in a way that I was not raised. Like, I think that's a really great way to frame it. Yeah. And it shows you your values because you could say all day long, we value this, we value that. But it's like with anything, if your, your kids aren't seeing your action behind that, then, you know, and it's the same thing for adults right now. And I think there's a lot of adults and organizations and places that are, you know, saying, oh, we value this, we value that, but they're not putting the action or haven't put the action. Right. And so I think it's great. Like show me your board, show me, show your, me your board, employees, show me, show me your, your students. Policies. Yeah. Show me, you know, that you're, you're trying to educate yourselves, you're trying to educate yourself. And then when those things happen, then I, then I know what, you know, your value, because you, that might be in, as a parent, that might be in your heart. Right. That might be what you value, what you believe in, but you've got to show your own kids that you actually mean it and that we're going to take steps as a family. And I think this is going to, this makes your family stronger. It makes your family like more amazing to, you know, embrace this because it's really embracing love. And when you can embrace, you know, love for other people, you're embracing each other more and you're learning about each other and no, you don't have to, I don't know everything. I'm learning forever. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. you can't know it all. And I have blind spots and I don't know the answer, but I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. Parenting is hard. Of (laughs) course, it seems very hard. Especially during a global pandemic. I've been feeling for you guys so much. I'm like, what a... What a time to be single and childless, yes, <laughs> you know, because yes. you're looking over at your friends like, dang, <laughs> exactly. that is a different life. <laughs> I keep telling my husband, I keep like saying like, if we can parent through this, like I am not at all now worried about like the sex thing and the like that talk who my oldest child already thinks that she tries to talk to me some kind of way. All right. Like, you're oh, like, you're let me grab that chunkla girl. Ooh, yeah. So No. <laughs> But, you know, it, it will make you, um, you know, we're being tested for sure. But this, and this is another test. This is exactly. another test. Like, I mean, this whole Trump era must be a giant test for a lot of families. Like, what did the president just say? <laughs> you know, I mean, how many times has that conversation happened in your household? Yes. Uh, or in my household? I'm like looking at the yes. wall, like, what did he just say? Like, you yes. know, so this is, it's all of this stuff is, I think, a really, it could be, it's a silver lining of a kind because it's forcing you to reckon with things that you would have rather looked away from. Um, and none of us benefit from that. No, no. And, and maybe that's, you know, I keep thinking that maybe the outcome of this, I mean, I know I've never been alive in a time where I've been hearing people that I never would have thought would be saying words like, you know, whether that's talking about white supremacy or systemic racism or intersectionality, like, I feel like it's exploded a bit in a way that I don't think that we've seen 
just to and we're not and we're not going back and we're not going back no we're not and if people think that we're going back you are sadly mistaken yeah. um we're not and i think like now's the time to have the brave conversations to to move forward and no we're not going back <laughs> yeah, you know why? Because these kids are having conversations like the one that you're having with your child and that you're are hopefully everyone listening who has a child will begin having with theirs. So it's an exciting that's the hope. That's like the maybe this things will hopefully be better for them because this happened when they were five. They lived through a yeah. pandemic and saw yeah. the outcomes of racism. They yeah. lived through a protest that engulfed America, you know, and is still engulfing it. So I'm happy and I'm really, I'm really thankful and gra- grateful that you came on this. This I learned. Thank you. So I'm about to start <laughs> pulling these kids aside and be like, yo, mama, did you this? Well, I have <laughs> Yes, know? and we've and we got to get teachers. Yeah. We've got to get teachers and we have to be, you know, supporting organizations that demand that teachers are doing these things. And we need to stop supporting organizations that are making it optional that are not requiring it, that, you know, that's not okay with me. Like, you know, every teacher should have a minimum vocabulary, comfort level, knowledge level. Um, there's no excuse anymore. You just, it's not, it's a no, it's a nope. Um, yeah. And, you know, there was an excuse when maybe you didn't know any better and they never taught that in your teacher training program, but come on now, like, well, I mean, like, just before we go, what, uh, from what you know of teacher training programs, like, how much is, like, implicit bias and race and, and, yeah, right? I mean, is it only, like, the most prestigious or kind of progressive programs? Or what, would, what could we do to agitate for teachers? Because, I mean, they're the ones touching our kids totally figuratively all the time, you know? They're the ones who they look to for learning. So I think a lot of parents will be too lazy to have this conversation, but if teachers are able to do it, then at least there's like a, like a kind of stop gap. What does that look like? Well, I mean, in terms of early childhood education, I mean, I can tell you that even the, the culture and diversity class, the, the, the core name for it is teaching in a diverse society. And in California, it's offered in, you know, all early childhood community colleges programs that have an, an early childhood education department, but um, it's not a required course mm. for um, our child development permit system. You can use it as an elective, but it's not a required course. Um, so that needs to change. Um, so looking at our colleges then, right, like our colleges typically do require that for the degree, but um, if they have certificates, the department decides what courses to include in that. And let me tell you, so I just became department chair last whoop, whoop, that's right. after several attempts, um, which we won't talk about how, why I, I was, was not department chair in the past, but now I am. But Hi. Now you are. Amen. Hey. And um, after 20 years of almost 20 years of being there, um, we are, changing our certificates that now you don't get one unless it has that class and that, you know, um, you know, there's like a lower level one where it, you know, it, it isn't in there, you know, cause it's connected to like these other permits, but not, you know, if you want to be a master teacher, if you want to do these things, no, you actually, it has to be, you know, in, um, in those programs. And, and as far as, you know, K through 12, well, that is a whole, 
you know, other ball of wax. You know, I sure. know that teacher trainings offer it and it is typically required um, for credential programs, right? But then what happens is then you get into your classroom and there's very little of what you can be told to do, right? In terms of you must adopt an anti-bias approach. It's not there. Um, you know, when I get evaluated, for example, um, I'm not going to lose my job because I'm not doing that. And, and frankly, it's hard to lose your job because of my union, right? Which right. I will tell you does the not other. put students first because that's not their job. You know, unions are there to protect me and, and my work and my comp, my work conditions and my compensation. So that's a whole other <laughs> big yeah. issue when we start thinking about that, um, that, you know, are we going to start putting this in our teacher evaluations? Um, and making it count and holding and to holding teachers accountable. And what does that look like and who needs to back it um, mm -hmm. for that to happen? I mean, are we going to, um, you know, start, you know, really putting some teeth behind these values that we say are so important? I mean, even creating an environment that embraces that. I mean, we have checklists. I have an anti-bias environment checklist that I could go to any school and I could, and I do this, my, one of my assignments in my class is they have to go to a preschool, including the, our child development center, and they have to go and look, do you have skin tone paints? That's a basic, you shouldn't have crayons if you shouldn't have, you know, a variety of ways to kids for the kids can express their, what Draw they themselves. look like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, what are your, what's your library look like? What do your books look like? Um, so we have the tools and granted, yeah, we need you know, funding for some of those things, but it's also choice of what we choose. Posters on the walls. What's our, what's in our textbooks? What are the images when we put out media for our program? Yeah, I mean, like who cares what the there. teacher says is the history textbooks racist and you're tested yeah. on knowing racist facts, Yeah, you know? So there's a whole, that's a yeah, whole other a thing, yeah. but like that, but that is something to think about because, you know, if you're a parent, you got to think about these teachers too, because they're the ones who are going to pass on what they know. And if they are passing on ignorance or counter or countering the stuff that we are talking about with our kids at home, and they come back from school and say, you know, the teacher didn't know what implicit bias was mommy, or the, the teacher didn't think that it was, you know, okay to have protests or whatever it's type happening. of stuff must be happening in some of these programs. It is happening. And, and sometimes I have to do a little bit of unlearning or a little bit of extra teaching and, and my kids have asked, well, why would my teacher teach me that? And my response is always because that they, maybe they didn't know better and mm -hmm. they can learn better. Right. Um, but someone taught them that happening. And sometimes on top of that, it's like the well-meaning parent who's like, we're all the same. I don't see skin color. The teachers who engage in that kind of education is also hugely problematic because then they teach stereotypes or they, you know, things like multicultural day or, you know, and I had that growing up. It's like, let's learn about Mexicans and we're going to have tacos and, you know, listen to mariachi. <laughs> and, and that's actually yeah. uh, in their minds, kind of opening people's minds and being yes. kind of culturally yeah. aware. You're like, yeah. yeah so. Yeah. so even with schools that, you know, em embrace a multicultural approach, right. It ends up being, um, sometimes do, sometimes doing more harm, right? I mean, the, the good intent is there, but- And it's othering, because you know, you're like, I, we're I gonna talk my, about Mexicans one day out of 300. Yeah, and also with very young children, like preschool age, um, you need to start with your neighborhood 
with your, how am I, how is my family different from my friend's family? That's too far out to be like, let's learn about the continent of Africa. Like, unless that's totally relevant to their everyday life right now, you can get there, but let's start with, I like this kind of food and my friend doesn't. And my friend is this way and my friend's that way. And oh, oh, all families are not like my family. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that we need to start that way because then they just end up, you know, learning stereotypes. You know, my, my daughter, you know, have been through some programs like that and um, all they learned about, um, well, we'll we'll take Africa, for example, right? Um, They, of course, learned about, you know, the Maasai tribe and they learned about drumming. They looked at animals like safari animals, right? All the kind of things that, you know, in your book of let's learn about this, right? And I asked them like, do you think, and here's the question, here's the listen and learn, right? Do you think that there are buildings <laughs> there, right? Because all they were seeing was images of like either the jungle or the, you know, desert, right? Um, so we, again, thank you, Google, you can go and look at, you know, well, look, oh my, wow, there's a city with like amazing hotels and restaurants. And oh, look, there's families who are, you know, wearing the same kinds of clothes that you wear. And, you know, and so and there's the Maasai, you know, it's like, there are both of these. And there's both. And so the problem isn't teaching about those other things. It's the problem is if that's the only image that they're getting, right? And it's the same when we do it with, when we, they only learn about black people on the news, right? Or they only learn, that's just, that's no, like there, there are so, I mean, and forget like the whole, obviously the bias and all of that, which is a whole other piece of it, right? But they have to be able to have it relate to their own life. And um, it's gotta be of diversity of what we know about people not just a stereotype because you know then you know i mean all i learned george floyd or lebron or beyonce you know exactly yeah yeah um so well thank you so much lena this has been hugely educational of course uh and will you just say your your position uh at arc once again and your name Sure, Alina Cervantes, and I'm a professor of early childhood education at American River College. Okay, well, this, this has been wonderful. I, your kids are in excellent hands, of course, with you and Simon. Um, but, you know, I think this goes to show that you don't have to be a professor to do this. I think you've given nope. people some very tangible tools that they can use to begin these, you know, perhaps difficult, but I think really rewarding conversations. So thanks so much for joining. This has been Thank great. Thank you. Love you. Love you too.